Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 42. You've got Chris and Brian. Um, this time around, we're going to do episode two of As Good As. That's right. As Good As Part D. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that we generally approach all of the gear and firearms choices that we make with a very tactical mindset, um, be that for concealed carry, home defense, or a duty use as either a law enforcement officer or you know military uh, contractor, that kind of stuff downrange. Yeah. I mean, you know, we generally tell people on a regular basis that almost everything that we sell in the store, you can stake your life on. Um, it's that level of quality. It's that level of durability, reliability. Um, you know, so that's not to dump on anyone's toy scope for hunting or anyone's toy this or that for, you know, for whatever competition or whatever the case may be. Uh, but for the stuff, you know, that we're talking about here, um, you can stake your life on it in, in a real world application or, or generally we don't sell it. So that's kind of the reasoning. So um, in, in, as, as Forrest Gump would say in no particular order, uh, we're going to run through just a few other um, your whatever is not as good as. Um, w- one of the things that popped up here recently as a not as good as charging handles, um, your mill spec, well-made generic M4 charging handle um, is, 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 it might be mill spec and it might be made to the specification out of the right metal, etc. It's still not as good as the uh, Radiant Raptors, the Geisley Airborne or Super Charging Handles, yep. and the old school um, BCM Viltor Charging Handles. Um, we still love those two. Yep. Uh, and this comes down to not only a materials and design standpoint um, from a physics engineering stand, uh, way of looking at things, but also from an ergonomics and the ability to just run the gun hard yep. and run the gun fast. Um, with the mil spec charging handle, you've got to go back to the Vietnam era technique of keeping you know your offhand on the front of the gun, taking your hand, your strong hand off the pistol grip, and running the charging handle with with um, two finger with your your trigger finger and your slingshot or how are finger, you doing? Yeah, you know slingshotting it. Yep. Uh, with all the other charging handles, you can run them easily and securely every single time. Um, with your support hand, which gives you a master hand grip on the gun the whole time. It also makes it a lot easier to run the gun um, with one hand if you need to. Yep. It's a much bigger, more tactile um, surface. It's curved forward forward, yeah. so that you got something good to grab onto. Um, and then from an engineering perspective, you're not relying on a tiny little roll pin not to fail. Yep. Um, with which which happens on a regular basis with a mil spec charging handle. Absolutely. Um, the latch just the roll pin fails and now the charging handle's broke. Yep. Yeah, so you know like I said and, and and you know if you're looking at these things and you look at where the stresses are, where pins are located, where the pins located, um, what pieces of metal interface with other pieces of metal on the devices, um, the 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 Geisleys, the Radians, and there may be other ones out there that are outstanding as well besides those. Um, but as a general rule of thumb, those are way better than just a generic, even a well-made mil-spec generic charging handle. Um, it, you're, you're setting yourself for, up for failure at some point if you're running the gun in a modern fashion, maintaining that master hand grip on the gun and doing everything that we can. And never mind, like Brian said, getting into intra-shooter manipulation and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's our, our, our first not as good as. Um, 
Second, not as good as. Yeah, the rifle. Um, M4 style, your clamshell handguards. Yep. Um, are not as good as your Magpul um, Mo, your polymer handguards, and neither of those are as good as a good free float setup. Absolutely. Um, and, and your good free float setup, you know, doesn't have to be a $400 Knight's Armament or a $400, $350 Daniel Defense, but those are outstanding examples of good quality forens, free float forens. Um, you know, and, and guys talk about, you know, the necessity of the kind of accuracy you get with a free float gun versus what a mil spec gun with clamshell regular forens will do. Um, and, and there's a reality check to, you know, what's good enough. Okay, fine. But there's the reality check is when you put a good quality free float handguard on a gun, you're going to gain an accuracy advantage. Um, and, and you're going to gain a usefulness advantage in how you can attach other devices. Um, whether you're talking about doing a big old gnarly four rail pick handguard, but a good quality one, or whether you're talking about doing something sleek that's M-Lock, um, or, or if you're hanging on to key mod and you think that's going to last, um, that's fine too, you know, for now. Um, but the reality check is having the availability to keep the gun slick, lightweight, uh, let air move around it where you can let air move around it and put things on the gun where you need to put things on the gun and then not have those things affect the accuracy of the weapon um, is, is all a really, really big deal. Having said all that, buying a good quality foreign still matters, not just any free float's going to do. Um, we do see free float systems come in um, that use odd timing devices that fail, um, that use odd locking devices that fail use odd hardware that fails, um, or just generally have a poor design that's not gonna be something good for hard use. Um, or they're and just made out of Chinese. Bingo, bingo, and that's a big part of it too. Um, you, know, it's, you know, things just stripped, don't hold up, or warped, aren't made true. M-Lock um, stuff pulls out of them. Yep, exactly, so you know, so yeah, the, the you know, Bravo Company handguards, Daniel Defense handguards, Geisley handguards, um, Midwest industry handguards, aero precision handguards, um, you know, these different brands, they're, they're outstanding and, and we sell them for a reason because, you know, they're, they all might be a little bit different from each other, but they all work really, really well in most applications. So, you know, again, your, you know, pick whatever brand, um, but your cheapy Chineseium made device is just not going to be as good as one of the ones we just listed, um, in, in almost every way imaginable, except for price point. Yeah, when when you have Picatinny actually rip off of the handguard because yep. it's made out of the wrong materials, um, you know you bought the Chinese handguard. Yep. Um, with you know the Bravo Company stuff in particular, it's seventy seventy five T six yep. aluminum. Yeah. You know, it's <clears throat> aerospace grade stuff that really takes the stress of putting torque on it. If you're using it for sling tension, if you have a vertical grip on the gun or an angled grip on the gun, and you're using that to really drive the gun, you know, up close or you got it braced on a barricade or you know, some kind of hard surface, um, you're able to put torque on the handguard and that's not translated into the barrel. Yeah. Um, I was at a Pat Mac class about two, two summers ago now, uh, last summer, and you know, one of the things we looked at was deflection. Um, he, he rested a, the barrel you know, on the support and we saw 12 inches at 100 yards. Yeah. Uh, and if you're running, you know, any kind of handguard that locks up into a delta ring, you put that handguard on a support or you sling tension, you apply a different kind of torque with a vertical grip than you do if you're just holding the handguard, 
and now you've created deflection into the barrel. So your, your point of impact is not going to be the same um, all the time. It makes hard to use a bipod or any kind of sandbags to zero the gun. Um, you know, it's 20, it's almost the end of 2019. Um, you can get into a really high quality, you know, arrow handguards are 160 bucks. Um, the BCM, you know, the MCMR, uh, M-Lock handguards. Start at like 180 and go up 180 from there. 180 to 210, depending yep. on the length you get. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily have to run, you know, a 15 inch handguard. Uh, 11 and 13 inch handguards, even on you know 16 inch carbines, work really well. Um, they let you do everything you need to do. Gives you opportunity to run a sling where it should be. Yep. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, you know, securely mount angle grips or vertical grips, uh, backup sights, flashlights. You know, while still maintaining you know, lightweight and really providing a meaning meaningful mechanical accuracy boost to the weapon system. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they just in, in anything you add to the gun is just going to work better on a good system like that than it is cobbled onto something else via some Rube Goldberg set of contraptions to get something on the gun. So, absolutely. Um, you know, so again, your UTG or whatever is probably not your ATI, your CAA is probably not as good as. So, uh, moving on, slings. Um, your patrol carry sling on your M16A1 um, is not as good as a Blue Force gear, um, a, a Vickers sling, a uh, Viking Tactics sling, a Magpul. sling from Magpul. Um, not as good as. Again, there are, we're not covering all the really good brands that are out there. There probably are other ones. Um, those are the ones that we're familiar with and that we use. Um, but trying to trying to cobble some kind of a old school tactical sling, um, you know, three point slings and stuff like that. You see so many guys either using something that was that was that's out of date or or is intended for the wrong a different application. Um, you know, three point slings back in the day were great on little bitty MP5s and stuff like that um, to allow you to carry that gun in a patrol carry position. But nobody around you liked you when you pointed your gun at them, and that's what you're going to do all day long. Um, maybe there's an application for a three-point sling in some world that I'm not aware of. I just don't know where that is. Three-point slings went out of popularity at the same time AOL quit sending CDs in the mail. Yep, that's that's pretty much the case. Um, you know, if, if you actually were one of the SAS guys that went in Princess Gate, um, sure, stick with your three-point, that's fine. But generally, the rest of us have moved on, and there's a reason for it. Um, good two-point slings. Um, in, in, in very, very certain environments, which are very, very limited, and I, and I don't even know that I can back this up, um, but like structure work where you train and you're somebody who can shoot off of either shoulder at, a, at without even a thought, you can switch shoulders and cross shoulder transaction and run that transition and run that gun, um, might have a slight advantage with a single point sling in that regard. Um, but the new modern two point quick adjust slings out there do, do the same thing for you but do everything else better, like hold on to the gun as soon as you take your hands off of it. Um, you know, if you have your, your, your gun, your rifle set up well um, with the QD mounts on the slings these days, you can set a two-point sling up to be 95% the function of a single-point sling in the event you need it Yeah. in about 10 seconds. Yep, yeah, and, and you can set it up in about 10 seconds. You can utilize it nearly instantaneously. Um, there might be a few positions if your sling set up properly where you can't um, maintain 
um, strong hand grip on the on the grip and then weak hand grip on the front of the gun and just cross over to your other shoulder and use your other eye if the gun's set up right. Or if you need to do a legitimate cross shoulder transition, give yourself some extra room on that sling and move on. And, and you know, the shooter slings of the past are great if it's a fixed position rifle, like a sniper rifle or something like that, you know, where you've got some kind of setup where you're creating that tension with the sling. Um, it, but you can still do all that same stuff with all the quick adjust slings out there. Um, most of them do all the exact same things if they're set up properly, and they're a little bit easier to get in and out of those positions. They're a little bit easier to adjust in and out of those positions. Um, you know, and, and if you've got a department-issued gun and you're allowed to change out your sling from something, then throwing it over your, you know, your shoulder for, for marching around, um, please do so. Please, please, please do so. Um, and even if you have limitations like a fixed stock on an M16A1, um, and, and maybe even a fixed foreign on an M16A1, you know, there are still some devices out there from different companies. If you come and talk to us about that, we can help you get your sling set up so that it's going to be a little more friendly for you to run the gun in a tactical fashion, have the sling in front of you. If you need to cinch it down and get it tight against you, we can do that. If you need to get it loosened up so you can run and gun with it, you can do that too. So um, definitely lots of options out there, uh, but the, the $12 strap from the gun show needs to go away. Um, the cheap piece of crap bungee uh, with a dog collar hookup on it that hooks up to your single point setup needs to go away. And like I said, if you're running a three point sling, then you need to go back to reenacting or become better friends with Charlie Sheen. I don't, I don't know, <laughs> something. So, um, but yeah, so your, your, your old school or cheapy sling is just not as good as. Um, this is one that slapped us in the face here fairly recently. Um, Nobody who runs a dot or an optic probably spends enough time on their iron sights. So we've been running some iron sight stuff and it hit us in low light. And, and we, we all learned with 40 some year old eyeballs or older in some cases, younger in some cases, um, that iron sights suck in the dark. Um, I would opine that in general, iron sights suck in general. Uh, I was never brought into the uh, romance of lining up the iron sights and it being something that was a, a visceral experience that I really ever enjoyed with a gun. Um, that, but you know, I was in the air force, so what do I know? Um, but the reality check is iron sights are not as good as optics. Um, and in the old, well, they never fail false, um, had iron sights fall off of a rifle. Um, we won't mention anyone's name. You know who you are. Hide and shame. Um, had iron sights fall off of a gun. There's probably a story there, but we'll get into it later. Um, <clears throat> had iron sights fall off a gun, so, you know, if it's not on the gun, that's a failure. Um, had guys running iron sights in the dark and looking over iron sights because they don't run them often enough and they're not used to them and, and making some, you know, some misses and some adjustments and some reality checks with stuff like that. Honestly, we had iron, guys running iron sights during the day shooting shotgun patterns at 50 yards. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reality check is they're harder. It's harder to use an iron sight. And an optic is a force multiplier. There's a reason why, you know, the military puts an optic on almost every single gun that they issue. Should you know how to use your, your iron sights? Should you know how to zero them, um, how to make adjustments with them, understand how they work and be able to make and do work with iron sights? Yes, you should. Uh, but the reality check is it's something you're going to fall back on. So what, what amount of time do you spend running the snubby you keep on your ankle or the little bitty gun you keep in your vest when you're on duty that's not your primary weapon? You probably shouldn't devote any larger percentage of time to your irons on your rifle than you do to that device. Probably less. Yeah, master your optic, 
master running the gun with the optic yeah and have a, a competent understanding of how to make the iron sights work yes um but we've looked at you know in training classes and whatnot uh optics are a four to one false force multiplier i i, I i'm i'm saying i'm saying that. easy but yeah yeah absolutely um and along with that make sure it's a good optic make sure it's something that you can stake your life on we kind of beat on that last time um you know trijicon um you know aim point uh as much as i'm gonna take this in the teeth coming back at me the eotechs are good optics i don't like the company but the optics are good optics there's some good options out there you can stake your life on um the right sig um optics they make a higher end optic that's a stake your life on an optic you know just make sure you're getting a good optic you can trust don't go buy a cheapie um if you're going to buy a cheapie then you better damn well know how to use your irons because you'll probably be using them sooner than later so yeah yeah um mags um not going to get into the usgi if you're running aluminum mags you know wake up it's a different era don't do that um I, I know too many guys who run usgi mags they maintain them they clean them if the springs need replaced they replace them they have new magpole followers in them and stuff like that um the headspace or gauge or whatever they do with the yep. feed lips to make sure they're within spec yeah if if you are running um you know 30 year old gi mags with no finish left on them um with crappy springs in them that don't quite push the follower all the way up to the feed lips that have that that crack at the back of the mag um you know and stuff like that or have you know the feed lips are obviously spread and there's cracks around the front of the feed lips for god's sakes throw them away you know take a hammer smash them demill them throw them away um if the springs are worn out but the mag's otherwise serviceable it's still got its finish on it um then you know by all means you know go buy a new spring kit and a follower kit from magpul and go on and rebuild them that's fine too but the reality check is um, you can buy Magpul Gen M2 mags, 30 rounders black, no windows for 10 bucks, um, you know, all over the world at different points. You know, at Cap City Outfitters 4465 Cemetery Road right now, you can get them for 10 bucks. Um, so something to kick around. Um, there are a lot of manufacturers out there making uh, cheapy mags. If you find that deal where you can buy, you know, 10 mags for, you know, five, six, seven bucks a pop, be very 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 dubious of the quality um, of those mags there are some manufacturers out there making some cheap stuff and cheap followers cheap springs etc chinesium comes to mind yeah th just cheap plastic it deforms um the space the dimensions on the mag don't necessarily work in every mag well yeah, yeah. Um, they don't they don't come out easy they don't go in particularly easy yeah um geometry wise there's sometimes feeding issues yep yeah the, you know i mean some of this stuff is you know, these are these are knockoff designs made to look like a Magpul or look similar enough to a Magpul that the it's good enough or it's 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 as good as crowd buys into. Um, it's not. So stick with good quality mags. Um, you know, we sell a lot of P mags. Uh, we sell Lancer mags um, and have had really good luck with those. I, I know that, you know, if you're into HK Steel mags, great. Um, go bankrupt buying them. That's your call. Um, I don't want to carry them either because steel's heavy and it's just it's not worth it for me, but that's fine. Um, if you're going to do aluminums, just do good quality USGI mags and go on at least. So, um, but your 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 crappy five dollar gun show plastic mag that's made by I don't know somebody is not as good as so. Yeah, and the same thing goes with the pistol mags. You know, for concealed carry or duty, we strongly advise running the factory Glock mags or factory Smith and Wesson mags. Uh, if you're running um, 1911s 
the Wilson Combat 47D or 47X yep. is the standard. Yep. Uh, it's the only 1911 mags we sell for that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, for training and things, um, we've had really good luck with both the Magpul Glock P mags and the ETS uh, polymer mags. But when it's, you know, the, the magazine that's in our gun, when it's loaded with party ammo, um, they're factory Glock mags. Yeah, if I'm walking around the world with my Glock, it has Glock mags in it, um, period, end of conversation. Um, having said that, I've never had an issue with a P mag um, or with an ETS mag. Um, that I couldn't attribute to copious amounts of mud um, being stomped into the magazine because it got stepped on on the range and it was a muddy rainy day or something like that. And and I would guess that I would probably have had the same malfunction with a legit Glock mag had it been what got stepped on. So um, if you're looking for cheaper mags to use on the range and save a little bit of money, that's fine. Uh, we sell them and that's why we sell them. Uh, but we'll tell you flat out that when we carry the gun, when it's real, it's got Glock mags in it. And you should be running OEM mags in most cases, um, again, with the possible exception, like you mentioned, 1911s, then the Wilson Combat kind of come, becomes the default, um, or maybe, I don't know, some other brand out there that I'm not aware of with 1911s because they're old and silly. So They still did win two world wars. That's right, but that was a long time ago. So um, I'm going to jump to lube. Um, we carry slip products. Um, I'm going to throw out a tip of the hat in uh, respect to Pat Rogers. Um, Pat Rogers, eons ago, put me on the slip products. Um, I, I, I've been running them now for a decade, and I can't find a fault with slip products. I'm a little weird about lube. Um, having been an aircraft mechanic, I've seen different things fail in different environments where things get really cold or things get really hot around jet engines or at, at altitude, um, and you, you just see what extremes do two things that were liquid at one time. Um, I, I'm not... We've seen the stuff on the range, too, shooting oh, at... Oh, my God. 15 below zero ambient a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had... I know that the wind chill that night, we were pushing 30 below, and it wasn't real windy. Um, and I also know that I've been out on a couple ranges, you know, where the guns were stupid hot, but the actual air temperature in the range with no air moving was pushing 100 degrees. Um, you know, and those of you who've been all over the world in hot places have seen this, too. Um, the, the reality check is this. Um, Remington rim oil is great for grandpa's duck gun. Um, it's a nice thin lubricant. You can put on something that when it gets cold, it's probably not going to gum up on you. But after about five shots, it's going to burn off the gun. It doesn't belong on semi-auto guns, especially anything that you're going to put a high round count through, whether it's a defensive handgun in training, uh, whether it's a defensive AR in training, or whether it's putting those guns away because rim lube just seems to evaporate off of stuff over time. Mm. Um, it doesn't leave a nasty residue, but it's not there when you need it either. So I would, I would say even you know, it doesn't belong on a defensive shotgun for training. True. No, absolutely. For duty use. Yeah. Any, anything for real world use, rim lube um, is, is a great, like I said, it's probably a great lubricant somewhere out there for field use where you're going to fire five shots in a day. Okay, great. Um, but not out in the real world. Um, fire clean. It's vegetable oil. Enough said. Um, frog lube. Um, I, I think this was a manufacturing or branding error because frog lube was designed by a navy seal and i think it was supposed to go into their hair care products line um not into the gun lube line but they got confused um pretty tough but maybe not smart um frog lube don't do it um frog lube gums up does crazy crap when it gets hot does crazy crap when it gets cold so um you know beware of, of snake oil tried and true works 
Um, and it, I, actually, you know, I'd put CLP in that category, same category with REM oil. Um, yeah. It burns off really yeah, quick. It burns off really it, quick. It doesn't clean, lubricate, or protect particularly well. Yeah. Yeah. If you talk to anybody who is responsible for keeping a crew serve gun up and running, um, they're not big CLP fans unless they have a gallon of it. Um, you know, in general, and, and a lot of those weapons are now serviced with different lubricants, if at all possible. Um, CLP becomes the default thing your sergeant hands you because it's what's available in, in whatever third world hole you happen to be in. So um, just because Sarge gives it to you doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for the job. It just may be what's available. So, you know, be aware of that. Um, and I'm not saying slip products are the only thing out there. I'm just saying that I, I trust them and they work and they've got a really, really good track record. So uh, bear that in mind. Um, carry handles. Um, I, I, I want to be gentle with this because we have a lot of guys here locally stuck with carry handle guns. Um, if you have a, if you want to run a fixed rear sight on your gun, you know, that's fine. If you want to run a fixed rear sight, fixed front sight and have them right there. Um, you know, if you're doing that though, you should be wearing belts and suspenders at the same time. Cause you're obviously that kind of guy. And that's, that's cool. No big deal. Um, if you're rocking a carry handle on your gun, on your, on your AR and you don't have to, um, someone's not making you by departmental policy or something like that. Um, Dear God in heaven, you know, let's let's do something different and, and get rid of it and go back to the optic, go back to a good rear sight that's a flip up or a fixie, I don't care. Um, you know, but but the carry handle's gotta go. Unless you just wanna carry the gun like that because it looks cool. Yeah, I mean if you're shooting thousand meter thousand yard stuff at Camp Perry, um, you have at it, but it'll probably get you in the right class. Yeah, if you're doing service rifle, it's, oh, it's 600, sure. that's fine too. If you got to use it, but I think even service rifle now, they allow optics. Yeah. So, you know, um, the carrying handle is interesting. If you want to build a, a gun from a certain era and have it as something to kind of pet occasionally, that's cool. Um, but if, if, it's, if you have a choice, it's, it's got to go. Um, I'm going to throw out a, a, a dig on something too. Um, if, if, you, if you want a good 1911, go find a good 1911. Um, you know, Kimber used to make good 1911s. Maybe they'll start making good 1911s again someday. Um, but going and buying a 1911 from Kimber just because it says Trump 45 on it's not a good enough reason, unless you just have more money than brains. Um, so you know who you are. If you don't, don't worry. Somebody will tell you soon. So, um, yeah, yeah. One last thing I want to touch on is application you can use the right tool in the wrong way. Um, we were enlightened by one of our customers and friends uh, who, who has some fun class three stuff and he has a full auto nine millimeter Colt AR series gun. There's a number associated with it, but, but I hate new Colt, so I can't talk about it. I don't know what number it is and I don't, I don't want to know. But anyway, um, running a Geisley SSF, so they're full auto trigger in a full auto Colt in nine millimeter. Um, when he purchased, when this gentleman purchased this trigger, there was no warning not to use it with a nine millimeter subgun, um, and it was an AR, so he put it in it. Um, it. It actually destroyed the hammer, if I'm not mistaken. It destroyed the hammer on on that trigger pack. Um, wore it out, bent it, scraped it up, did some damage to it, basically warped it. Um, when he contacted Geisley, he was then notified, "Oh yeah, you're not supposed to use that in there." 
Um, you know, in this case, it was an honest mistake. You bought what you thought was yeah. the right trigger for the gun. They took care of him very well. Yeah, and they and Geisley absolutely made it right, um, but said, hey, yeah, it's not designed for that, and, and replaced it anyway, even after having said it's not designed for that. Um, you know, the, the misapplication, there, there are certain things that go certain places and trying to cobble something. A, another great example of misapplication, trying to cobble a handheld light onto a gun. Um, again, it's 2019. Um, there are a lot of good selection of weapon lights out there. Uh, Streamlight and Surefire do a phenomenal job. There may be others that don't suck. I just don't know who they are. Um, you know, but buy a legit weapon light that's got a good mounting system, has proper switchology, um, and is durable, shock isolated, and it's going to do the things you need it to do um, rather than trying to cobble something onto the gun that wasn't intended for that. Um, you know, there, there's just this industry has become so cottage and so huge around ARs and around carry guns, you know, do put the right thing on it. Um, just for the, the third example, for the sake of a third example, um, if you are running a Glock um, and you want to put an optic on your Glock, one of the small windowed optics, if it's for competition, for, for whatever use, not necessarily real world use, something, a Leupold Delta Point Pro, um, one of the Romeo optics, one of the Holosun optics. Um, a Trichicon SRO. Absolutely, an SRO. If it's for real-world use, a Trichicon RMR, maybe one of the CZ or one of the Holosun 507s or something like that um, have proven pretty durable. Um, but but putting an Aimpoint T1 on a reciprocating slide on a gun rather than on a bridge-type mount on an open-class gun or something like that is a no-go, um, something we ran into here recently. Um, the gun's not designed for it. you got to respring the gun. Um, and, oh, you know, not yeah, the, well, yeah, and, and you know, and at one point, you know, Aimpoint, you know, Aimpoint tried to do this on a Glock and thought it was a good idea and it didn't work, but I still see people trying it today. Um, that optic wasn't designed for that setup. It's too much mass. That gun wasn't designed for that much mass in an optic. It's too much mass. You know, don't, don't do it. So, um, apply the tool to the job properly. You'll get a lot further. You'll have a lot less heartburn, a lot less headache. Um, and, and, and you just generally will be happier, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we slayed enough cigarette cows for barbecue. Yeah, I like barbecue. Very cool. That's all I have. Mm. Uh, on that note, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. Uh, come in and see us. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, at Cap City Outfitters. And on the web at capcityoffers.com. Thanks, guys.